If you are new with us, we're in this series that we've entitled King of Hearts, walking through 1 Kings 1 through 1 Kings 11, and we're going to wrap up 1 Kings 11 here in just a few weeks, and, and we started this series right after Easter, really looking at this chunk of Scripture in 1 Kings, looking at the rise of King Solomon. King Solomon, if you didn't know this, was the wisest king to ever rule over Israel, experienced the most blessing, the most riches, the most influence of any king in Israel's history. And so as we've been walking through this book, we've been looking at the rise of King Solomon and looking at the decisions that he has made to honor the Lord first and foremost in his life, to make him the king of his heart. And we've defined what we mean by king of your heart this way, simply this, submission to the Lord in all areas of your life. That's what we mean by king of your heart. I said this every week, and I'll continue to say it throughout this series, that we do not serve a God who is okay with us compartmentalizing areas of our life apart from him. So he's not okay this morning for like, well, 70% of my life is yours, Lord, and the other 30% I want to keep to myself. God's not okay with that. He wants to be the king of your heart. And if he's the king of your heart, then that's you saying, Lord, I'm going to submit to you as king, not in some areas of my life, but all areas of my life. And so as we've been looking at this character in 1 Kings, this character Solomon, this king, we've been looking at his life and seeing the blessings that come when the Lord is the king of your heart. And unfortunately, the consequences that he experiences when other things begin to crowd out the Lord as the king of his heart, looking at our lives and saying, Lord, when you're the king of our heart, we experience blessing. We experience your best in our life. And what lessons can we glean from that and what obstacles and what circumstances and what consequences can we avoid when we're tempted to not make you the king of our heart. So hopefully you're in 1 Kings 9. We're gonna look at verses one through nine this morning what you need to understand of where we find ourselves in 1 Kings 9, and oftentimes this is the case when you're dealing with Old Testament passages of Scripture, is you can jump from significant lengths of time in between the chapters that are written. And so we find ourselves in 1 Kings 9 that King Solomon has been reigning over Israel for 20 years. So significant length of time. And last week we were in 1 Kings 8 looking at this amazing prayer of dedication that Solomon gives over the temple now that it's completed. And now we jump into 1 Kings 9. Look at me with me in verse 1. It says this, and as soon as Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house and all that Solomon desired to build... So that literally means all that Solomon desired to build. It really doesn't give this indication in the English, but when you look at it in the and what it was written in originally, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, it literally has this idea, that phrase, all that Solomon desired to build, literally means this, Solomon's desire and delight was to do God's will. Don't you want that said of you? Like, put your name in there, that so-and-so, he or she, her desire and her delight is to do God's will. So Solomon had finished doing a significant piece of God's will, because if you're familiar with the story, King David, Solomon's father, wanted to build the Lord a temple. They had been worshiping the God, a God in the tabernacle. They've been worshiping him in a tent. 
And so King David wanted to build God a temple, but God told King David, that's not for you to do, that's for your son to do. And so Solomon was given the task to build the Lord a temple, and Solomon has done that, and obviously he builds himself a palace as well. And so now this is done, and now we come to verse 2. Now what happens? It says, the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time as he had appeared to him in Gibeon. Remember, he appeared to him the first time, really giving Solomon this amazing request. Solomon, what do you want? Ask whatever you want and I'll give it to you. And Solomon, in his human wisdom, knew that he needed godly wisdom. But now it's the second time this has happened. In verse 3, here's what happens. And it says, the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your plea. So we're not talking about this this morning. We're not talking necessarily about prayer. Aren't you glad that the Lord hears your prayers? I just see that again, where the Lord says, I've heard your prayer, Solomon, which you've made before me, and I've consecrated this house that you have built, putting my name there forever. So what the Lord is saying is, Solomon, not only have I heard your prayer, but I've answered your prayer. And that's the Lord that we serve today. He hears your prayers, and he answers your prayers, even when you don't feel like he is. That's the Lord that we serve. And he says, my eyes and my heart will be there for all time. So what we're going to unpack this morning is verses four through nine in particular. We read verses one through three to set ourselves up of the context and where we're at here that the Lord appears to Solomon again. He says, Solomon, I've heard your prayer. I'm, I'm blessing your prayer. I'm acknowledging your prayer. I'm answering your prayer. But what he's saying here in verses 4 through 9 is he's telling Solomon, Solomon, you need to continue to posture your heart the same way that you began when you took the throne is the same thing that you need to do now that you're 20 years into your reign. I need to be the king of your heart. And he's going to share with them in these verses the blessings that will come as Solomon obeys. But he's also going to share with him the consequences that will come if he disobeys. And what I really want us to understand today and really to get today is this, that God's promises that were given to Solomon gave Solomon great potential. I mean, he was was given wisdom by God. He was given wealth by God. He was given a kingdom by God. He He was the most prominent king in all of the known world at that time. Solomon had great, great potential. Tremendous potential. He had no reason not to succeed. And what we need to understand as we look at this passage of Scripture is that when we are acknowledging the Lord as the King of our heart, we understand the difference between the potential that we have with God's promises and the actual power of putting God's promises into practice. We understand the difference in that. One, great potential, awesome, but you haven't done anything yet. Understanding the difference between both of those. And we stand here today, or sit here today, I stand here today, you sit there today, with a Bible that is full of God's promises. Full of them. And what we're going to look at in these verses is see promises that God says, Solomon, I have done this. And if you do this, this will continue. 
And there's lots of those promises that are available to us today. Can I just share with you a few of them, just to make mention of them? These are just a few. There's many more. Listen to this promise in Exodus 14, 14, where the Lord says this, the Lord will fight for you. Isn't that amazing? But what's my responsibility to live into that promise? You need only to be still. Like how many of you are like, man, I just want to fight I want to defend myself. I want to stand up for myself. And I want justice in this. And here we have an amazing promise that the Lord says, hey, I'm fighting for you. Here's what I want you to do. I just want you to be still. I want you to let me handle it. Isaiah 40, 31, an amazing promise. I love this promise. I have this promise tattooed on my body. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. What's the promise there? Man, you want to be strong like an eagle? You want to run and not be weary? You want to walk and not faint? Well, then wait for the Lord. Stop running ahead of him and wait for him. An amazing promise. But there's also my responsibility in that promise. Here's another example, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. An amazing promise that you can experience the peace of God and it will guard your heart and mind in the time of anxiety when it comes. But what's my responsibility? I need to come to the Lord and lay that anxiety before him with prayer and supplication, letting him know my needs with thanksgiving. Lord, I want to also thank you for what you've already done. An amazing promise, but also my responsibility. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Love these two verses as well. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Isn't that what we want? Lord, show me where to go. Make it perfectly clear. Make it straight. An amazing promise, but there's responsibility attached to it. What's my responsibility? To trust in the Lord with all my heart and not to lean on my own understanding. Here's the last one that I'll mention, James 1.5. If any of you lack wisdom, we talked about wisdom a few weeks ago, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. What's the promise? God's going to give you wisdom if you ask for it. What's my responsibility? I need to ask. And later on in those verses, I need to obey. You see there, the potential of God's promises, but also understanding that potential's not enough. I need to take those promises and put them into practice so that I can experience the power and the provision of God in those promises. So how do we do that? Well, I want you to get this idea first, and then I'm going to pray for us this morning. I'm also going to pray for the dads in the room. This is the thing I want you to get today. That God's promises provide you with great potential. Great potential. But potential is only realized when God's promises are put into practice. We're going to unpack that. Because what we're going to see in this passage of Scripture is God has given Solomon great potential, but he reminds Solomon, Solomon, potential isn't enough. You need to put these things into practice so you can realize the benefits of them, so you can experience the blessing of these promises in your life. So what I want you to pray as I pray out loud is, Lord, would you show me areas of my life 
that I need to put God's promises into practice and not just be satisfied with the potential of those things. Let me pray. God, I thank you today for our dads first. I thank you for the fathers in the room. Lord, I thank you for the privilege that you have given us to be dads, to be grandfathers, to be fathers that are expecting our first child. What an amazing thing that that is. What a humbling thing that that is. And so, Lord, I pray for every guy that is in the room this morning who is a dad, Lord, that they would be on their knees on a daily basis, thanking you for the privilege of being a father, but also asking you for the strength to be the father that you desire us to be. Lord, as I think of times like these, whether it's a Mother's Day or a Father's Day, Lord, I also think that there are individuals in the room that this is a very hard day. We have individuals in this room who've lost their dad in the last year or last few years. And I pray that you would comfort them during today. Lord, we have individuals in this room who may have lost a child. And this is a hard day for them. We have individuals in this room that cannot say, I had a great dad. Would you comfort them? Lord, we have individuals in this room that say, I don't even know my dad. And Lord, in this day, may we remind ourselves that you are not the reflection of our earthly father, no matter how good or how bad he may have been. You are the perfection of our earthly father. And so, Lord, we look to you as our greatest example of what it looks like to love unconditionally, to love selflessly, to love generously. And so, Lord, would you just help us as fathers to be the men and the dads that you desire us to be. Lord, our hearts are open. Lord, I pray that they would be open to receive what your word has for us as it is open. Lord, help us to receive what you will say and apply it where you are leading us to apply it. In Jesus' name, amen. So I asked this question once, but I want to ask it again. If, we're, if God's promises need to be put into practice, then I think we need to ask ourselves, how do we do that? And I think the Lord is going to show us as he talks to Solomon in these verses how we can put God's promises into practice. And I want to say it this way, that God's promises are put into practice when my heart is committed to three things. Three things that I see in these verses, and the first one is found in verse 4. Will you look at it with me? Look at what the Lord tells Solomon. He says, Solomon, if you will walk before me as David your father walked, with what? With integrity of heart and uprightness. That word integrity is an interesting word. It literally means purity of motives. So what the Lord is not telling Solomon is, Solomon, I want you to simply obey me externally. What I mean by that is you just simply doing this out of duty because you have to. You ever experience that? I mean, it is Father's Day today, so we can give a parenting illustration. Do you ever remember when you tell your kids to do something and they're fighting and they're complaining about it the whole time that they're doing it? Does that thrill your soul as a parent? No, it probably gets you upset. Why? Because they're not doing it with 
integrity, purity of motives. They're doing it because they have to do it and they're gonna complain about it the whole time that they are doing it. And let's not just put that on our kids. We oftentimes do that. But that's not what the Lord wants from Solomon. He wants an integrity of heart as Solomon obeys. See, that's the first thing our heart needs to be committed to is integrity of heart. Why? Because doing the right things with the wrong motives, do you know what that is? That's compliance. That's what that is. So I'm thinking to myself, what's the easiest and simplest illustration that I could give on doing the right things with the wrong motives? Do we have any cops in the room? No cops? All right, good, I can give this illustration. Um, The easiest and most Simple illustration is when you're driving and, you're, and you're need, you know you need to observe the speed limit. Now, if you're like me, I have three individuals in my car that are radar detectors. And not only radar detectors, but are my conscience in case my conscience is not operating like it should. Can I get an amen? Um, so now, now I have this little thing in my car that actually tells you what the speed limit is in the little corner. But anyway, have you ever done this? Like you're driving and all of a sudden you see that the police officer, a car, a squad car is behind you. Not, not that their lights are flashing, but they're behind you or they're beside you. So what all, what all of a sudden do you do? You check the speedometer and all of a sudden, no, I'm not going to go in front of him. Not going to accelerate past him. Oh no, he's behind me. What's the speed limit again? Why are you doing that? You're doing the right thing, but you're doing with the wrong motives. I'm doing the right thing with the wrong motives. Which, by the way, can I just say as a side note here in North Carolina, I've lived here two and a half years, this place is is like a trap for tickets. I've never seen a place with more speed traps in my life. And so I'm having to very carefully say, what is the speed limit? I'm going from a 55, and all of a sudden I'm in, I can't even think of how to say the name properly, I'm in this little town that goes from 55 to 35, and But don't we do that? We are doing the right things, what? With the wrong motives. I am complying. I don't want to go 35. I want to go 55. I don't want to go 55. I want to go 75. But I also don't want a $200 ticket, so I'm going to go 45. Right? Doing the right things with the wrong motives. That's compliance. But how do we know what the right thing is to do? Because I said doing the right things with the wrong motives is compliance, and God doesn't want that. He wants us, our hearts, to be committed to him with integrity, with purity of motives. But how do we know what the right things are? Well, the right things are given to us in God's word. Psalm 119, 160 says this, the sum of your word is truth, not fiction, truth. And every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. John 17, 17, that phrase that we, or that verse that we know probably many of us so well when I say it, where Jesus says, your word is truth. Now, this is how often I can get caught up living my life if I'm not careful, and I'm sure many of us in this room as well, is that I want to obey the Lord out of what I can get. Here's what I mean by that. So, I look at my life, and maybe it's this week, and I'm like, man, i got a big interview coming up. 
and I really need this job. Or we just put this house under contract and we really need it to close and we really need to get approved from the lender and all of that. Or, or man, I got this test that I need to take and it's, everything's riding on this test and I need it to pass. And so what do we do when we have these big events? Now all of a sudden we're like, man, I better have my devotions every day this week. I better go to church this week. I better go to life group this week. Oh man, I, I, oof, I want God to come through in this, so let me get out my wallet and I need to give some in the offering plate this week because I got these things that I really want to happen. That's not integrity of heart. It's not a purity of motives. Why? Because you're doing these things, all good things, getting into God's word, being faithful and gathering together with God's people to give the Lord the praise that he deserves giving up your resources, all those different things I mentioned, those are all good things. But when I'm doing them with the wrong motives, it's compliance. And what the Lord tells Solomon is, Solomon, what I want you to do is, yes, I want you to walk before me in an upright way, but I want you to do it with a purity of motives. See, integrity of heart says this, I will follow the Lord according to his word. Why? Because I love him. I'm going to serve the Lord with purity of motives, not based out of what I can get, but based on what I have been given. That, Lord, I'm going to follow you because I love you, because I believe your word to be Truth, as we read in Psalm 119, and Jesus said in John 7, 17, I want to do that because it's true, and I want to obey because I know it's what's best for my life. Turn to Deuteronomy 6. Keep your finger in 1 Kings 9. Look, at, look with me in Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 6, and I want to show you how this principle plays out. Because what we're going to see in Deuteronomy 6, verses 1 through 6, is God is giving instruction to the children of Israel as they're getting close to entering the promised land. And he says this in verse 1, he says, Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God and your son and your son's son by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, be careful to do them, that it may go well with you. Like the Lord is saying, do these things because it's what's best for your life. And that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Like I want you to obey these things because it's how you experience blessing. It's how you experience my best for your life. These things are true. But look, it says in verse 4, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. What is the Lord saying? Is the way that you serve me with the right motives is out of your love for me. Like I'm the one who blessed you. I'm the one that's provided these things for you. I'm the one that has given these promises to you. You serve me not out of what you can get, but out of what you have been given. And haven't we been given so much? 
So as I stand on this side of Solomon's story, on this side of the cross of Jesus Christ, what I look to to motivate my heart to serve the Lord with integrity, with pure motives, as I say to myself, Lord, when I realize how much you loved me through your son Jesus Christ and his perfect life, death, and resurrection for my sins, and loving me at my worst, not my best, but my absolute worst, Lord, how can I not serve you with integrity of heart? Now, it is Father's Day, and I don't want to gloss over this. Did you notice in verse 4? That the Lord just doesn't say, if you walk before me with integrity of heart and uprightness, but he mentions, as David, your father, walked. What the Lord is telling Solomon is, Solomon, your dad has set you an example of what it looks like to serve me with integrity, with an integrity of heart. Now, if you're like me, and I think to myself, I was like, man, David's not the greatest example of this. You could have given a lot better examples. You could have mentioned Samuel, but instead you mentioned David, like David, the guy who committed adultery with another man's wife and then had that woman's husband killed, that David. But you know what's so awesome? Is the Lord mentions David not because of the sins that he did or didn't do, but he mentions David because of David's heart. God refers to David as a man after my own heart. Why? Because David served the Lord not out of what he could get, but based out of what he had been given. And he served the Lord with a purity of heart that when he sinned, he owned it, he grieved about it, he acknowledged it, he confessed it, and he didn't confess it so he could avoid the consequences, but he confessed it because he knew that it, it, it hurt his God. Integrity of heart. Here's the second thing our heart needs to be committed to. Look at the end of verse 4. The Lord just doesn't say, if you walk before me with integrity of heart and uprightness as your, David, your father, walked, but he says, doing according to all that I have commanded you and keeping my statutes and my rules. So really what the Lord is instructing Solomon with is, Solomon, guard your heart. Guard it. Guard it against the idols that will be asking for affection from you. John Calvin, who was a reformer in, the, reformer in the Protestant Reformation, he lived in the 1500s. Some of you may be familiar with his name. This is what he said about our hearts. You've probably heard this before. The human heart is a factory of idols. Do you know that about your heart? You know, every time I hear that quote, I'm a visual person, like I think in pictures. Anybody else think in pictures like me? I think in pictures. So here's what I think of when I think of that that, um, that quote, I think of like a factory and a conveyor belt and this machine is just spitting out idols and this conveyor belt is going and literally when I hear and that's my heart and it's this factory that's just producing things that are, that are going after my affections. <coughs> Woo. I finally got that out of me. That's been in me for like 20 minutes. <laughs> that those idols are coming. Now, here's what I picture that the Lord wants me to do. I'm literally at the end of that conveyor belt with a baseball bat that as they're coming by, I'm just hitting them. Smash, 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 and they're just coming, and I'm called to continue to hit them. That's what I picture in my mind. 
right? You're like, dude, I don't want to be in your mind at all. That's what, I'm, that's what I'm picturing in my mind. But that's exactly what Solomon is being warned of by the Lord. Solomon, you need to do according to, keyword all that I have commanded you, keeping my statutes and my rules. Why? Because Solomon, I know your heart is going to naturally drift away from what I want you to do and drift away from me being the king of your heart, submission to me in all areas of your life. So Solomon, guard your heart because your heart is a factor of idols and so is yours and so is mine. Romans 1 talks about humanity and our temptation. It says they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. How often do we do that? We worship the things that God has blessed us with rather than the one who has given them. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? That's my heart left unchecked. That's why one of the worst reasons that you can give to do something is like, well, my heart's just telling me to do it. Bad answer. Because I can't trust my heart. But I can trust the king of my heart. See, the second thing my heart needs to be committed to that the Lord is telling Solomon to guard is, Solomon, I want you to have a loyalty of heart. I want you to guard your heart and to guard it well. And what I said before is, is what guard my, guards my heart against idols is to remind myself of God's goodness that has been extended to me. Gratefulness guards my heart against idolatry. Because when I am living in a grateful posture, in a thankful posture, I am reminding myself that the creator is the one that has given me these things. I don't need to worship the things. I need to worship the one who has blessed me with those things. And I need to bless and worship the one that if those things go away, he's still who he says he is. Gratefulness guards me against idolatry. I like to say it this way, a good thing can become a bad thing when it becomes the number one thing in my heart. So some of you are very ambitious people. You love to set goals and you always love to say what's the next hill that we can go after. I love, I love those people. I can relate But ambition becomes a bad thing when it becomes the number one thing in my heart. When it's more about what are the hills that I can take rather than saying, Lord, wait a minute. Let me not allow my ambition to crowd out the place that you rightly deserve in my heart. You're the king of my heart. Submission to you in all areas of my life, not submission to my agenda in all areas of my life. See, ambition can become a bad thing when it becomes the number one thing in your heart. What about relationships? Some of you are in dating relationships. That's, that's amazing. That's a good thing. It's a good thing to want to be married. It's a good thing. But relationships become a bad thing when they become the number one thing in your heart. I can look in my life and see relationships where they became the number one thing 
over my relationship with the Lord, over the priorities that I needed to have, and they became a bad thing. Why? Because they became the number one thing. Your kids that are a good thing can become a bad thing when they are the number one thing in your heart. Your kids are bad, a bad thing, but when they take the place that the Lord rightly deserves, they're out of whack. And now, all of a sudden, my kids are the idols. You see where I'm going with that? Good things become bad things when they're the number one thing in your heart. And when we look at this loyalty of heart, it's so important. I, don't, I want to stress this to go back to what is the motivation for me to guard my heart, to see the Lord as number one in my heart. If you think back to all the way back to the Garden of Eden, you'll see a pattern, and you see it with the children of Israel as well, that God always states the blessing before he gives what man's responsibility is. So in the Garden of Eden, what does he say to Adam and Eve? You can eat of every tree of the Garden of Eden. Like, Adam and Eve, I've blessed you. You can eat of everything. This, this world is yours. This garden is yours. You can enjoy fellowship with me. I've given everything. This is how I've blessed you. And then what does he say? Well, here's, here's the responsibility. There's of one tree that you can't eat. But what does the Lord do? He gives the blessing before he gives the responsibility. Think of the children of Israel in the land of, going into the land of Canaan. He says, here, I've given you this land, this land that you don't deserve, this land that is a gift from me. He uses that language in Deuteronomy, but then he gives the responsibility that you need to worship me as the one true God. You see what the Lord is doing there, and you can see that if we had time to go to those passages of Scripture. God's blessing is always given first before he gives our responsibility. But we oftentimes want to switch those things. We get caught up into thinking that the only that, that my motivation to obey is so that I can get the blessing. But God's saying, no, 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 no. I'm giving you the blessing and so that you can allow my goodness to be the motivation for you to obey. See, obedience is motivated out of understanding God's grace. why I go back to that first piece that we mentioned, that first way that my heart needs to be committed to him, integrity of heart. No, 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 Lord. I don't obey based on what I can get. I obey based on what you've given. That's my motivation. Let me give you one more instance because I want this to be drilled into your head. Romans 12, 1 and 2. New Testament example. So Paul says this, I appeal to you, brothers, like I want to tell you something that you need to do. But he doesn't jump to, you need to make your lives a living sacrifice. This is what you're supposed to do. You know what he does? He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, that it's God's mercy extended to you through Jesus Christ, you not getting what you deserve, God blessing you with a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It's by his mercies that I want to appeal to you. Let's remember what we've been given and then what's my responsibility? How do I take what I've been given and allow it to motivate me to be a living sacrifice, which is my spiritual act of worship? In Romans 12, 1, that's the motivation. You look at that in Ephesians. 
Ephesians 1 through 3 is all about what God has done for you. Verses chapters 4, 5, and 6 is my responsibility based on what I've been given. Do you see the principle there? God is not a God that says, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. He's a God that says, I have blessed you. Here's the promises. Here's the potential. And based on the amazing promises and the amazing potential that I have given you by blessing you, Now I want you to obey in light of being grateful for that. So my loyalty of heart and my integrity of heart, it's not motivated out of guilt. not motivated out of what it can get. It's motivated out of what I've been given. And that's what the Lord is doing with Solomon here. Last thing our heart needs to be committed to, and it's found in verse 6. Look at what he says. That Solomon, when you do these things, then... I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever. As I promised David your father saying, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. This isn't the first time that God has said this to Solomon. Haven't we seen this over and over and over again in the chapters that we've looked at at up to this point? But what the Lord is doing is he's reminding Solomon, Solomon, you know what you need to do? Be obedient to me. Shun idols. Guard your heart. Love me. Confess and repent of your sin. I say that because he mentions David as an example. David wasn't perfect. He was far from it. But when he sinned, he confessed it and he repented of it. He's saying to Solomon, Solomon, enjoy me. See that contentment is found in me, not in the accolades, not in the things that are that are pulling for your affections. And I think we need this morning to remind ourselves that true rest, the rest that every one of us, and I put myself in that, are looking for, is not found in what's one more idol that I can find. But rest is found when we see the Lord and his word as the thing that brings our heart security. Not security in the sense of, well, I gotta do this or I'm gonna lose my salvation. Not that security, but security that when I obey what the Lord wants me to obey, I'm not gonna miss his best. Because that's literally what he's saying in verse six. Look at it again. He says, Solomon, if you do these things, man, I'll establish your throne forever. You won't lack a man on your throne long after you. Rest in that. See, security of heart is the, is, the, is the third thing that my heart needs to be committed to. Think about it in your life. The times that you experience the most unrest is when you are disobedient to what the Lord wants you to do. The times that I experience the most unrest is what I want to say, Lord, I want to be the king of my heart. I want it this way. I don't like the way that you're leading, so I want it to be this way. And when I act like that and I posture my life towards that, I experience tremendous unrest, tremendous anxiety, tremendous stress, rather than saying, Lord, here's my responsibility. It's to obey. It's to love you. It's to guard my heart. 
It's to confess and repent of sin when it's revealed. That's my responsibility. You're the king. You have it together. You're the one that's going to make my path straight. You're the one that's going to fight for me. You're the one that's going to bring peace. You're the one that's going to give wisdom. You're the one that's going to give strength. Security of heart. But then look at verses 6 through 9, because now the Lord's going to give warning to Solomon. Look at these warnings. Look at verse 6. It says, but if you turn aside from following me, you or your children... And do not keep my commandments and my statutes that I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them. Then I will cut off Israel from the land that I have given them and the house that I have consecrated for my name. I will cast out of my sight. And Israel will become a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And this house will become a heap of ruins. Everyone passing by it will be astonished and will hiss. And they will say, why has the Lord done this to the land and to this house? And then they will say, Because they abandoned the Lord their God and brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt and laid hold on other gods and worshiped them and served them. Therefore, the Lord has brought all this disaster on them. Now, be honest. When you read verses 6 through 9, you're like, man, Lord, you sure did put a wet blanket on this passage of Scripture, (laughs) right? Like, we were doing great here. And now, now, all of a sudden, it's like, ugh. Like God all of a sudden became a real downer and a killjoy. And isn't that how often we view God's word? Like the Lord's just trying to rain on my parade. He's trying to take away all the fun. But actually when you see these verses in verses 6 through 9, like instead of saying, man, what a downer, what a killjoy, what a wet blanket, You look at verses 6 through 9, you say, how kind was the Lord to say these things? How kind of the Lord it was to issue this warning. Like when you tell your kids when they're real little, don't touch the stove when it's on. Like if you've got an electric stove, when that thing's red, don't touch it. When little blue stuff is coming out from the bottom, don't touch it. Now, your kid may think, man, mom and dad are really ruining my fun. But you know what you're doing. It's out of kindness that you're telling them not to do those things. And that's exactly what these verses are. They're the kindness of the Lord because the purpose of this warning was to prevent the potential disaster that would come from Solomon just seeing God's promises and seeing the potential and not putting them in to practice. God was literally saying to Solomon, Solomon, I'm going to spell out for you everything that can go wrong if you disobey me. That's God not being a killjoy. That's God being a loving father. And I wonder how we view this word of God today. When you come against across passages of scripture that tell you how you're to have a relationship with the opposite sex that you're dating, and you look at it you're like, oh man, that's no fun. When actually what the Lord is doing, He's saying, no, 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 I want you to experience my best for you. When God says how a husband and a wife ought to interact with one another, that's not the Lord 
being unkind to you. That's the Lord being so kind to you because he wants your marriage to experience his best. When the Lord tells you to trust in him with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding, that's not the Lord telling you and being mean to you and saying, you're stupid. That's the Lord saying, I want you to experience my straight path for you. Do you see where I'm going? But how often do we see God's word as a wet blanket, as a killjoy in our life, instead of saying, no, 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 Lord, Lord, this, when I obey it, it gives me tremendous security of heart. Because even when I go through difficult circumstances and trials in my life, I know that I am doing what you want me to do, and I won't miss your best for my life. But here's the reality. We know the end of the story, right? And if you don't know what you're going to find out here in a couple weeks, that Solomon, unfortunately, does not follow the Lord's instruction later on in his life. And 400 years from this moment, Babylon comes in and destroys this temple. And some of us may be in this room right now, and if we looked at our lives, you would say, man, my life is not a life that shows God's power working in me because I've put his promises into practice. But if I had to say this about my life, I would say it's a life that many would look like and say, man, that's a lot of wasted potential. But there's hope for you. There's hope for me in those times where I may feel that way. Because Jesus did what Solomon couldn't do. Because you remember the promise that the Lord tells Solomon, Solomon, I'm going to make your throne last forever if you do these things. And even in spite of Solomon's failures, Jesus Christ came to fulfill and to do what Solomon couldn't do. Because Jesus was in David and Solomon's line, and he is the one who will make that kingdom and that line last forever because Jesus is the king who will rule and reign one day forever. And I want you to allow that hope to speak to you. I want you to embrace that. I want you to wrap your arms around that. That you're one prayer away, acknowledging where your sin is, confessing it, repenting of it, so that you can once again be in fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ, so that your life is not a life of wasted potential, but it's a life that is experiencing the promises of God because you're putting them into practice into your life. Look at David as the example. He's praised by the Lord, not because of the sin that he did, but in the way that he responded to it when he did it. So if you're a dad in the room this morning and you're looking at your life and you're like, man, there are some areas that my heart has not served him with integrity. There's some areas in my life where I've not been loyal to him and I've allowed idols to creep in. There's some spots in there when I've looked to me as my security rather than to his word. Confess it. Repent of it. You know, it seems like in this passage of Scripture that you read that it would be hopeless for Israel. It would be like, well, Israel, I guess, is done. But what's awesome is, is in Romans eleven twenty six and 27, Paul makes reference to a promise that Isaiah gives that says the deliverer will come from Zion. That's Jesus. 
and he will banish ungodliness from Jacob. That's Israel. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. See, the Lord, our King, is always the hero. Not you, not me, him. 